1: Got a lot of people um, asking questions. Uh, We'll start with Jay. Jay said that places like hair salons will be opening with limited allowed capacity, more restrictions, and enhanced required safety measures, which all affects costs and ultimately uh, profits. Why would it make sense to buy in that type of business, even as an equity partner?
2: Because you're buying in low. Like right now, you would buy in at a low rate and knowing how you could be a part of bringing it back up, right? So... Also, you could bring expertise, right, especially because, Jay, you're a client. So, you come back to me and say, you know, let's assess that. And, like, here's some easy numbers. So, I used to own a hair salon. So, the first thing I did when we bought it, like the partnership bought it, is we assessed the database. So, what we found was there were about 200 regular clients. And I don't remember the number, so I'm just going to kind of make up an example so you get it. So, in the database, there was 200 people who came on a regular basis, regular meaning within every two months, every eight weeks, no longer than 10? For sure, no longer than a quarter, because most people get their haircut more than a quarter. It's usually every six to eight weeks, sometimes four weeks. What what was the pattern of the buyers? Right. And so what we notice, and again I'm kind of making these numbers up because I don't remember them exactly. It's been a long time. But let's just say half were women, big difference. A women's cut and a man's cut are very different. Even though men sometimes do get their hair colored, it's less frequent or expensive as a woman. So let's just say for easy math of the the 200, let's say half of them were women and half of them were getting color, right? So let's just say every six weeks, or actually let's just say for easy math again, 100 people did a $200 treatment, right? For easy math. So that's a $200,000, right? Gross revenue. And let's just say that happened. Was that, am I doing my math right? So so 100 people do $200 and they do it six times a year, right? So let's just say every other month they go do their hair. So for the client, you got to say, okay, six times 200. And most men don't know this about their women. (laughs) They're spending say $1,200 on hair minimum a year. Right. And I think those numbers are actually off. I think it's a little faster. They go repeat every sooner than that. So let's just say it's a twelve hundred dollar per client engagement at a hundred half the database. I mean, now you're looking at a lot of revenue and the way that we did it to help sustain revenue and cash flow because the reason we got brought in is it was a cash flow issue. They had great sales. Somehow their margin was going away and they weren't really making it. So what we did then to get creative is we made a certain... We offered them a VIP package at the hair salon. And so those of you who are on a VIP... We're going to give you an extra part of the salon, and I actually made this up because I went to Frederick Vicki before it got sold, and uh, the treat—I mean, it was just awesome. The, the treatment—it was an elevated part of the salon. You get champagne or wine. They would serve you lunch or some snacks. Um, you could have extra treatments uh, as part of it, but in exchange for that, you put your card on file. So, on the third or the fifth or the tenth, so you agree right? Just get an easy math. So say you're one of those $1,200 a year clients, and you accepted the VIP, your card would be charged $100 a month to sustain cash flow on a certain day. So that way, the salon owner is going to know that I'm going to get Let's just say only 30 clients did it. Well, I'm gonna charge their card. I want one on the first and one all the way to the 30th. So I have 100 dollars a day. So I know that I'm making, you know, the money that I need to make and I'm managing my cash flow in a more consistent fashion. And then you can do some bonuses and maybe their kids cuts free or their husband's cuts free, or they can take home some product that doesn't have, you know, a huge uh, cost issue to it. My point is you manage your contract cash flow. I've done this for, think about the other places I've done it for. I've done it for daycares, I've done it with. Auto detailing shops where people come in on a regular basis, have their vehicle detailed. Again, managing and holding on to the credit card and you contract that cash on a 12-month contract is a great way to manage cash flow. So, I know it's a long answer, Jay Rain, but that kind of gives you an idea of the reason you're wanting to get in now is because you're actually going to get a better price. They're either not going to open the door without capital or they need some creativity in their business strategy to try to get through this. So, either one of them could get you equity. And I know that for a fact. So that's what kind of you're looking for. So Thomas, is there another one? I'm going to keep going down some more questions. Yeah,
1: We have one from Facebook. One one wants to know, what do you think about hemp farms as a new investment now?
2: If you uh, believe me, I've invested in, in hemp farms. So I think hemp farms are great if you have a buyer. So what happened in, uh, in the 2019 crop time is, uh, first of all, like, There were people in our community, which I can't even believe the lack of common sense, went to Montana to buy a hemp farm. Sorry, but uh, it freezes there like you don't buy hemp. (laughs) I mean, there's summer freezing nights. So there's just some logic that a lot of people didn't assess. But the biggest problem that happened with hemp was the food chain. Right. The supply chain wasn't there and too much biomass got produced. Those who actually knew how to produce it down to a product and got some uh, retail distribution got out of it alive. But there's still a lot of bottled up hemp and just biomass that is not moving. So I think the farm by itself is great. But I can tell you from experience, unless you can have the complete supply chain uh, to the end retail and know that you have a buyer, you could get stuck in your cash flow. And uh, some of that, you know, depending on how you process it, is going to have some expiration dates to it. Let's see. Um, again, we talked about A P A R customers. You know wh- who makes up the market. You know, and what's the the viability of growing in the local market? So, a lot of times, you have very geo targeted kinds of businesses, restaurants. You would say hair salons, and even interior designs and architects, but that's not true. I've uh, gotten very creative with clients. Um, I mean, one of my more creative. I'm having to think about like some of my way out there clients. I mean, in Australia, like I have people who live in the outback and one has become a world-renowned music teacher and she uses online technologies, use it for years to teach piano lessons, to teach guitar lessons. So some of you, if you get motivated, can really get creative about creating a revenue stream. And here's the other thing too, for a lot of you, if you're looking at buying, what you could do is bring in new revenue, like i call it a department or a division, a new revenue division to a company and take a percent of that revenue. So you may not take part of the company, but you're going to take part of, in fact, uh, I was invited into what will become a big roll-up of a company just to bring my content. A, because I'm a woman, I'm in a, you know the money space, there's very few people. So right now, it's more of a joint venture, but the goal is that we'll move into a partnership to roll up and sell later on. Do you have to be geo-targeted for the business? Obviously, like an auto body shop, RV parks, storage—you pretty much have to be geo-targeted, or at least understand the pattern of the traffic that you all be looking at. Do you have seasonal, you know, is it seasonal, is it landscaping, is it lawn care, is it skiing, is it um, ski gear, is it golfing, you know, like I think about just what's right around here in Tahoe, uh, in the Lake Tahoe area and how that's highly affected. I mean, all the traffic on the lake is just opening up, which is going to be interesting to look at boat rentals, uh, jet ski rentals and all of the rentals the kayaks on the lake and see how they keep those sanitized. That's a whole new cost structure they've never had to deal with. They could turn boats every 2 hours, every 3 hours. And boats on the lake rent anywhere from 250 to $1000 an hour. So when you're in an hourly needing to churn, which also restaurants churn, hair salons churn, there's so many variables. So, as you can tell, I get really excited about this. I could teach it forever. So, those of you who are looking to do this, um, please let us mentor and coach you through just what we would consider the obvious because we've been doing business for so long. Is there a single? So, here's a different thing. Is there a single customer account or are there large customer accounts? And so, like, I'll use, you know, Vicki, you're out there, right? So, you do a lot of, like, you have really large accounts with event venues, Right. If one client went away, it's a risky model. So some of you want to think about what I call corporate accounts. In fact, I've been invited into now look at corporate accounts. I haven't done corporate work in a long time because I do individual work, right? So small business owners versus a very large corporation because they're going to consume a lot of your time. And if one goes away, it's kind of like having a job, right? So I love and like to see a variety of kinds of income that actually can really recession proof you. Right So if you think about you know what what I do, I have products online consistently now we're having more and more of ours online. We do offline now we do a lot of online events. Uh, we can have sponsors joint ventures, people who pay for recognition of our date to our database. So think about where the money all comes from and how it turns for you. And just how does it market uh, its products and services is it, is it all online? Do you drop mail? like what do you do? Does it have exclusive rights to a product? And if it doesn't, could it so you can command more of the market share? I have uh, distribution companies who are getting you know statewide or regional wide rights to be the only one as long as they nail the the sales. I mean, to get exclusivity, I'll say it this way, right? If I would give anybody exclusivity, say to my game, you better produce a certain amount of money, or you're never going to get it. And that's really with almost all businesses, I think really immature businesses. I here sometimes from my clients, I have exclusive rights to market whatever, you know, this Billy's Bud CBD product or whatever it is. Well, you better be producing a lot or have a financial requirement or you just got damn lucky, right? But if I'm coaching on the other side, I'd say you better have, it's just not good. I mean, getting exclusives, that's a whole nother conversation. So my goal is to get your mind churning and to give you an initial script to go look around your community and start walking indoors and or at least getting online and trying to talk to the owner, not to the manager, the owner. And in fact, you want to be careful about that because sometimes an owner that's getting ready to sell a company isn't telling their employees and there's nothing unethical about that. The employees might freak out. They might go trying to find, you know, another place to work. So you're going to handle that. That's kind of a case by case basis. But Thomas, go ahead if there's some questions.
1: Yeah, we have one more here. I think it's going to be Interesting. Someone has an art gallery, arts and crafts, and she's asking what are some creative ways that she could increase income?
2: Take people on a walkthrough. Take them on a virtual walkthrough. If there's an artist or somebody that you're featuring, have the artist do what we do, like on a live broadcast and talk about the art, talk about the art pieces. The other thing I think that galleries don't do enough of, which causes again a marriage model, you know, if you think about my funneling concept of uh, your pieces are too high end. For the average person who just might be walking through, and I think a lot of people do, just like private aircrafts, I don't think people realize that they are affordable. Flying, you know, across town in a helicopter over the traffic versus through the traffic depending on your revenue model it may look like an obscene expense and it's not i have done it personally i know people who do it i know people who commute that way they live on one end of la and they go all the way down to san diego Um, same thing with the bay area you can live in san jose to get to north Marin county or sonoma it's faster cheaper depending on what you're doing and how you monetize to take a helicopter over top of all that traffic my point is very similarly, a gallery, a lot of people have a perception that you have to have, you know, it's, every piece is going to be ten, twenty thousand, 20000 or you have to be an art collector to walk in. And I think they're missing, and I've coached art galleries, uh, especially two specific ones in Sydney, Australia. And the catch and the goal is to get small items, whether it's, you know, you take an art piece and you put it on, you know, postcard, or you put it on, uh, you make memorabilia out of it. The woman that you see some of the actually I need to go get more of my clothes painted who does our clothing painting. She's in Montreal, Canada, beautiful client. And she uses clothing as a way to express her art to an individual and then continues to upsell you to, you know, a $20,000 piece that you might put on your wall. So there's a lot of ways to monetize a gallery, but doing virtual tours, you could partner up with some of our wine folks and do a virtual wine and gallery tour. Um, You've got to get really creative you got to get really really creative but the biggest missing piece i see in most galleries or those kind of stores is the missing lower end tickets that gets somebody just interested in the artist or you know the person that's actually doing the art or the piece right Few other pieces I got to add in really quick, um, and then we're going to wrap up. Is you do want to look at your competition? Um, there's a, qu- a quick tool that we can uh, talk you through. There's a variety. of Gantt charts and there's uh, SWOT charts um, that we can talk you through about how to do. You know, so SWOT is like you know your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And looking at those from that perspective, what's your competition doing? What's your competition pricing? What equipment's there? Is it aged? Do you need to buy new equipment? Can you repurpose the equipment? How are the employees? Are they gonna be transferable to you? Or are they very, very loyal and dedicated to the owner? And you also gotta be very careful when an owner leaves, if it's gonna be in your geographic area, they could take their employees with them. And that's a really important piece. Like if you're gonna come in, do you want a clean house and start over? I saw some businesses. It was really interesting. My husband and I were driving by a cute little uh, resort area that we love in this area, this uh, the Lake Tahoe area. And they used this downtime and COVID to completely renovate and remodel. And uh, it was a new buyer. I knew that the new, the buyer had sold or, you know, that the resort was sold. They're keeping the name. So nobody really knows unless you're pretty internal to the community that that transaction had happened. But it's interesting that the new buyer, whether they got financing to do it or had the capital are completely doing the renos that we needed. So perfect time to go down. They had to go down anyway. Interesting just to watch the the process benefits, ERISA packages, which means do you have IRAs that you have to pick up, Healthcare benefits you have to pick up, um, just all of that. Um, how long have the top managers been there? And again, will there be an ownership change? Or can you just add a division of new revenue and just take a part of that? And if you were buying it and I was working with you, I would make you get a new LLC for that division of revenue. So you literally could carve it out from the other systems. So lots of variables. I think this stuff's exciting. Some of you say, oh, my gosh, this is just so analytical. It's not. To me and to a lot of our team, this is creative. And the more creative you are and partnering with the analytics, you've got one hell of a team and a great assessment to whether you could and should be buying. So I would get out to your local community. Yes, you can go around online. But I think there's a physicality, just like writing a book. You know, when I write books, I tell one of the first homework assignments I give to all of my students when I'm writing a book is go to the bookstore and physically sit in that experience. And I have a whole teaching that I do around how to write a book. So it's very similar how to get in and buy a company. So those of you who uh, hope this was helpful. Uh, We're going to continue in this conversation of the economics of an entrepreneur. In fact, maybe uh, I think that should be the title of what we're going to be doing is how do you become an entrepreneur? How do you not get tied to the business and uh, know where the, uh, what I call the pressure points and the stress points are in the company? So Thomas, anything else for uh, our, I always say I'm going to go half hour and then I I always wind up to an hour.
1: (laughs) Uh, well, we got a couple questions in there, but we are at the, the top of the hour. So it's up to you, Laurel, if you want to take them or if you just want to do a, a general sign off. A lot of people are worried about, the, well, not worried about, but kind of thinking about the economy forecasting. So you've time for one more question.
2: Yep. Well, let's do one more. And then all of you, I really want you to do some homework and I really want to hear about it. Cause what I'm going to do is we're going to close the broadcast and I'm going to go over to the millionaire training group and ask Steve, or we're just going to go live there. We need to train you that you're going to get the best content in the millionaire training group. And those of you that are clients that haven't joined the group, it is absolutely going to be where we're going to deliver some of our, like what I call our prized content. And, uh, Those of you also on our broadcast a week from now, mark your calendar right now. Go in your phone and set an alarm for next Tuesday, May 12th at 12 noon. I have the Wolf of Wall Street and I'm going to be interviewing Jordan Belford. Uh, We're putting that interview together. And those of you in the Millionaire Training Group, we have asked you to list some questions. So, Steve, if you want to uh, either take that personally or have uh, someone on our team just really be aware of questions should be coming in that if you had a question you wanted to ask Jordan Belford, who the entire movie, Waffle Wall Street was uh, built off of his life story. What question would you ask? And we're not going to do it here. So don't even begin here. We're not taking this chat across. I want to see inside and I want to start conditioning you that if you're a millionaire in training, that's where you're going to get your most prized content and some bonuses and offers and be able to contribute to interviews. Um, The other person we are going to be having back on Is Jim Blasco. So, Jim, cryptocurrency expert, may even have him on uh, this Thursday as we're putting our week together. Uh, Really important. Crypto's taking an interesting run right now, and uh, some of you don't know enough about it. And it's really important now that the governments have all finally decided it's not like this, don't think COVID is the inspiration to a lot of this stuff. The Canadian government, the US government, and many governments across the world have been planning and or have digital currency already ready they just haven't hit the go button so don't think that covid's instigating all of this stuff there's a complete political and financial infrastructure that is going on while covid's going on which is uh, really for a lot of us that know that side of the world know that's what's caused this is what's been created So now, like anything, you can say, well, I'm going to go protest or picket or do whatever the hell you want to do or put your head in the sand and do nothing or get your head up and think and talk and start making money the way the wealthy do, which is we have great conversations about this. So your homework is to go look in your community and see what's available to buy. Bring those questions back to the Millionaires in Training Group. Get over there and uh, help us craft the interview for Jordan, uh, which has to be this week. I'm not. There won't be any looking or modifying uh, when we get to next Tuesday. The interview will be set, and what we're going to be having that conversation about. So, did I answer that, Thomas? I bled it all over with a whole bunch of announcements.
1: <laughs> no, but it's, it's it's a good question um, and kind of an easier one to ask. Uh, basically, the question is this: With employment being so high and businesses likely slow to ramp up. You know, Reports are saying people will not be as liberal with their spending as they were pre-COVID. And here's the question. Is there a target industry that might hold a sweet spot for consumers, meaning there won't be that purchasing history, that volume drop off that you would normally see?
2: I think most of the industries are, are have been heavily hit. I think again, storage units, if anything, R V parks have gone up. People have right sized and already saw that they may not make it and put their houses on the market and are, you know, I've seen a lot of people. And the reason I've seen that also is because of Boise, Idaho, where we we're taking a tour. The mass exodus of California has caused people, there's literally a waiting list for thousands of homes to be built. In Boise, Idaho. I just, I know that because uh, just knowing clients in that market. So, I, yeah, I think there are several. I think uh, us coming online, you know, we have uh, proven to not only transition and pivot our business model, but I think their online revenue. I mean, what's concerning about some of this that has gone online is how retailers are going to make it. I think, you know, there has always been this conversation in the economy that at some point retail outlets, you know, aren't going to make it and won't make it. I think there's a huge concern for that. So you can look at it in two ways and say, you know, they may not make it and come back or what can you do to be creative with them to make it uh, vehicles, sporting vehicles, there will always be necessary and there'll always be purchasing power around that. But I do think the discrimination and the discriminate income, people are looking at how they're going to spend differently. I think they're making interesting choices short-sightedly just because we're seeing it. I mean, I, for the history of doing this work, think people need to learn about money and this is not where you discriminate, right? Just like if you're joining a gym, you know, if you had to pick, you know, joining us and learning about money and you already had to go put your gym in, in your garage. So you might as well just keep it in your garage and get very purposeful about the result. I think a lot of spending right now is emotional and not, planned with a proper intent, right? So what's it going to get you in the long haul? And that's just a lack of goal setting and clarity. So we're going to be closing this broadcast. Uh, Let me know if you enjoyed it today. This was good content. Please let us know. I'll have Thomas uh, keep the chat open over here for a moment. And Steve and I, I'm going to go regroup. And we're going to the millionaire training group where I'm going to give you a few little golden nuggets about other businesses that uh, I've been involved with and things we're doing to uh, create some purchasing power around it. The one thing I would tell all of you is some of this stuff, if you have good expertise and a good team, i.e. us on your team, you can buy things and not have to pay a dime. So there are ways to get that done. So right now, if you've never joined our Millionaires in Training, I would be racing over to Facebook. Join our Millionaires in Training. I'll meet you over there for just a few more minutes of some golden nuggets, Okay. Thanks. Have a great day. See you on Thursday. We're broadcasting every Tuesday and Thursday, 12 noon Pacific. Share with your uh, groups and please take uh, any of these recordings and pass them on.
0: Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. And it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.